All right, everybody. Last week, we did a session on a little bit of a quirky study, at least I think it was, on placebo, because I did not realize, according to these particular researchers, placebo hasn't been that well studied in weight loss or body comp pursuits. Most of it is in pain management, which which makes sense. Uh, so what they showed was that instead of a positive effect, like we can often say that 40% or so of people are, are really heavily persuaded by placebo effect. It turned out when it came to the mechanistic effects of weight loss, the actual physiology, even though they were told, hey, you're you're getting this supplement. It's a glucose modulator. It's going to directly reduce hunger. It, it helps speed up your metabolism. All the, all the catchphrases that anybody in our industry would love to hear, even though they, they were told and they all believed that's what they were getting, it was just a rice starch pill. They had it had no supplemental value, and I think a lot of people, me included, thought, "Well, hey, you know, we know the the whole mind muscle connection thing and placebo effect, and the way your your subconscious can be kind of hacked by uh, your your conscious and vice versa." And so, you know, maybe they were got some kind of a really cool effect like that. And it didn't happen. They they got no effect. So it showed that even with total, total belief and buy-in, there was nothing supra-physiological to be had. To the contrary, and this is in one of our discussion points today, those people who thought they had a supplement, because one of the, the groups were told this this is not like they didn't even get a supplement. They they got no supplement whatsoever. Another group got the supplement and they were told this is just a placebo. Like we're faking everybody out in the study. You guys are in like, you know, shh, don't tell the secret. Um, and those people who thought they had the placebo, the ones who had the most psychological buy-in, they actually did worse in follow-ups because it showed that their self-efficacy was reduced. They, they just kind of relied on the supplement to do the work. So I, I found this week a study, you know, I reviewed a few, and I thought this one really was also unique in, in the way they set it up because they also wanted to look at self-efficacy, not not placebo, but self-efficacy in weight loss. You know, if if somebody really has the expectation that they are going to lose weight, they have that that positive energy going into it, will they do better? And then as a social psych experiment, what happens uh, to, to groups if, if they, they're kind of faked out, they're actually told that they have all of the psych skills, they, they scored at the top of the class, so to speak, and they have all the tools that they need. And so they're really amping these people up. I'm going to explain how they did that, but that's what they're going to measure here. And so self-efficacy, if you remember... It is just the ability to believe that I can control the outcome. So it wasn't until the late 70s that that people started looking at this and developed that theory of behavioral change in which therapeutic uh, improvement is attributed to the mediating influence of self-efficacy expectations. So here, here's something that I, that I often say, and, and I almost need to either modify it or create a second part to this phrase. Happiness or contentment is the distance between what you expect and what you get. So think of the people who are have just positive mental outlooks. They're just, everything's always fantastic. They're super happy. They never have a bad word to say to, about anybody. 
I guarantee you, having studied personality psychology enough, those are people who live in the moment, who really do have a positive outlook, and they believe that that matters. Otherwise, they just wouldn't go to the extent of always wearing that face. They they, they create a genuineness to it and, and adopt that personality. So self-efficacy is the expectation that I can control the outcome. So just remember that. You've also probably seen this because back in 2008, actually 2007 and then 2008 is when it became a really big hit, uh, Dr. Duet came out with Mindset, which is now a classic, classic book. Um, I, I, I know she's got a lot of interviews out there. Uh, I hate uh, sometimes when I recommend something or I reference something like this, a lot of people go out there and, and buy a resource and I'm not against that. This, you know, These are definitely worth your while. But you can find out a lot of great information, too, by watching these authors in YouTube video interviews and that sort of thing. So, so Dr. Dweck, a psychologist at Stanford Medical School, uh, she she came out with this, this self-efficacy framework, which she called fixed versus growth mindset. Fixed mindset is I can't do those things. Nothing matters. No matter how hard I try, nothing good is going to happen and everything is predetermined, that's that's a fixed mindset. And what she found in her research, going back as far as she could, uh, you, you kind of get what you expect. You know, if you don't think you can do anything to affect an outcome, you won't even try. And then a growth mindset is quite the opposite. So there has been a lot of change in the last 20 or so years. And she wasn't the person who coined the, the word mindset or that field, but it was around that time where it really started exploding. So here's how this study went down. And this, again, was a, a psych journal. I, I think you might have seen that reference on the, the front slide there. But uh, just like that placebo study last week, the, these, these uh, subjects were recruited via uh, an advertisement. And 80 people responded uh, and were interviewed. 42 were accepted. 34 completed. So I always like to look at those kind of things because you not only get the the range of, of how many people are involved, but how they were recruited sometimes matters because if it's just on a college campus, for example, you're probably going to sway the the uh, information or you have to at least attribute it more to that younger type crowd, an educated crowd, maybe even a motivated crowd. You can say a lot or infer a lot about where people come from. But this particular study across an entire city in Texas through a newspaper, uh, this was back in the 80s. So social media was not yet a thing. I think it was the 80s. Um, I have to look. I think it was. Uh, and, you know, 34 were, met the criteria, which were you had to be at least 15 percent overweight. And like last week, remember, this was advertised as a weight loss study. So it means there were people who were at least motivated that much that they would go to the extent to engage in a study. Uh, I've never seen this before, um, but three of the three of the applicants and people who actually completed it were non-adults. The ages range from 11 to 65. Uh, I wish they would have parsed that out. I would have liked to have seen the kids' exact ages and you know how they did, but they didn't. They just looked at the, the mean age of, of 42 years old. 28 were female, four male. Um, there is a discrepancy in that math, which is weird. They say 34 completed it, but then there's only 32 there unless they were not counting the, the children. But then there are three, which still leaves a weird number. But anyway, um, just maybe somebody had a typo. 
what they wanted to do was give these people in, I believe it was uh, an eight or nine week study. I think it was eight and, and they had nine sessions. So a beginning session to start and kind of a review session at the end. So they gave weekly counseling sessions and they broke them up into four groups. But in these two months, they wanted to break them up as high, high, high self-efficacy. They would score on Dr. Dweck's surveys very high in the fact that I believe I can change an outcome. I believe I'm responsible for my own outcome, that sort of thing. And then the rest would score low and they wanted to break them up into those two groups. This was, of course, um, a a very behavioral driven type of, of weight loss plan. I'll show that here on the next slide, I believe. But here's you have to you have to understand because it, it takes a second to, to lock this into your brain that they had four groups. So they broke them into high self-efficacy and low self-efficacy as a pre-existing mindset. So they did at least three different types of psychoanalytical surveys, all geared toward motivation, locus of control. There are there are a lot of different surveys and questionnaires that are accepted in research. And they become more heavily cited. They become more validated. And over time, they just become the go-to type surveys. So uh, you at least can eliminate some of those variables. You understand who created this, how many people have used it in the past, what those results have been like. So they used uh, qualification measures like that. Again, pre-existing high self-efficacy and low self-efficacy. Then what they did was they took two, two subgroups. So high self-efficacy and low, high and low. And in one of those groups, they lied to the people with low self-efficacy. They said, all of you in this group, the high and the low pre-existing self-efficacy, you guys were the cream of the crop. You guys nailed it on all these surveys. You scored the highest. You are 100% rock stars. There is nothing you can't do. So for half of that group, that was correct. Like that's how they scored on those surveys. The other half were at the bottom and they were just getting that smoke blown up their rear end, so to speak, um, to see what would happen. If they, it could they be talked into having high self-efficacy? The other group, they just left them the same. You guys are high. You guys are low. Just, just like, and they didn't even classify it like that. They didn't. They just said, you know, you're in this study. It's weight loss. Go get them, Tiger. Let's see how you do. So they weren't even in on that that part of the the discussion. So again, uh, nine counseling sessions, behaviorally oriented, because they wanted it. Did they wanted the responsibility to be felt on the side of the the people in the study? The therapist was blind to which groups were which and what they were doing. The therapist was somebody who uh, was there to just go through the sessions, the weight loss sessions from a behavioral standpoint. Here's what you need to do uh, for, you know, to, to, to increase your sense of control. They went through uh, anxiety type training, relaxation training, uh, even self-hypnosis, did, did all these things. And they just wanted to see, you know, given your, so they didn't give them macros. They, they didn't give them a, a tight diet. They didn't control for, you know, you're getting food or you're not, it wasn't inpatient, being behavioral based, they wanted to give them all the information and then see what they would do with it. Because again, low 
self-efficacy, high self-efficacy. They just wanted to see who would do something in the most proactive way. Okay, so here are the results. The, the group with pre-existing high self-efficacy and that were combined with the group with low self-efficacy, but in total, that group of those two subgroups were the ones who were lied to. They were manipulated. They were all told, you guys are the best. You're going to kill it. It's amazing. And look what happened. Even the people that had pre-existing low self-efficacy, they lost almost the exact amounts. And even look at the starting weights. This is kind of interesting. Having perceived low self-efficacy, they even weighed more. So their BMIs were higher and so forth. So that just kind of shows where they were starting as a kind of a position in life. Uh, then you get to that the group that were just set out on their own. They, they just did not receive that information. And the, again, the pre-existing high, which would match the manipulated high to cut from the same cloth, same scores, they lost eight pounds. And so not that this has a lot of bearing, seven pounds versus eight pounds, but contrast this with last week's study on placebo. This second group, they did not get that part of the instruction in the study. They did not get the, you guys are amazing, you scored super high. The, the researchers kept that information and just let them go as an organic test. And so they ended up just doing even better, um, you know, best in the entire study. Whereas the pre-existing high that were given those quasi for them, it wouldn't really be manipulative, but it was just at least affirming, um, you know, slight, slight difference. But I thought that was worth noting that remember people who are almost left to fight for themselves, left to learn for themselves, left to shoulder more responsibility instead of believing that they have an assist from an intervention or a placebo, you know, they just did so much better last week. So now look at the group because this is this is basically the control group of the entire study. The pre-existing low self-efficacy who got no no extra instructions. They just they got the same counseling. They got the same nine sessions. They got all of that like everybody else. As a control group, they lost the least. So what this shows. And again, it took me a few minutes to really sort this out because it was kind of a study within a study is that that pre-existing self-efficacy mattered. Whether they got the hype or not, those two groups did the best. Just going into it, I believe I can do this. I believe I can determine my own outcome. Uh, there's, I was talking to a client of mine this week who is going through uh, a sugar addiction course. And uh, she said that the author of that said something that I often say as well, which is, if somebody else can do this, I can. And, and I do this a lot, even with, you know, silly little DIY things around the house. If I'm trying to do some kind of electrical or plumbing issue or I refloored, you know, my entire house uh, last year on my own. And I'm just watching YouTube videos to figure this out. 20 YouTube videos at a time, trying to get all my own tools, figure this out. What drives me to even attempt things I don't have expertise in is because if another human being can do it, then I know it's doable. So given enough time and focus and work, if somebody else can do it, so can I. That 
that's kind of a hack into self-efficacy. If you don't think you innately just have that kind of ambition to do everything and succeed at everything, if you feel a little less than confident, I think that's a good way to get yourself in that position to say, well, you know, if, if this has been done in the past, then why not me? So, so it's important, as I said, in this first note that pre-existing self-efficacy matters, but we can all get there, even if it's against our nature a little bit, because point number two, self-efficacy, it wasn't even learned in this case. Well, I, I shouldn't say that they were getting that therapeutic behavioral counseling, but the big difference maker, because everybody got that, was that they were encouraged so much. Not that you guys can learn this, but they were told, and this was not true, they were told by the researchers, you have these traits. You do have what it takes. You are the top, just like everybody else. And I don't know if these people were surprised if they really thought in real life, like, no, I don't know. That doesn't sound like me. Like, I don't do anything like that. I, I never, I never win. I never, I never work hard or, or achieve these things. But regardless, they believed it. And then they, they achieved as much as everybody else. So I already jumped around a little bit and, and chatted about comparing this to last week's. But again, I, I, I wanted to piggyback off of last week's on placebo not to go deeper into the exact placebo effect, but to show why last week was surprising a little bit in that even when you think you have a positive placebo effect, it's not necessarily guaranteed that it's going to change your physiology. But as confirmed in this week's, it can certainly change your mindset toward that. So I know we only have uh, Becky and Matt here uh, live, but does that bring up any any thoughts for you guys in terms of your own work personally or or Matt even work with clients I mean I, I for me I mean the positive self-talk definitely has a positive influence I think I mean you, you kind of I can't remember the quote but um kind of how you talk to yourself you know if, if you think you can you can if you think you can't you can't um so I think it's very very powerful you know, Matt, you you may recall I always pick out a word for each year that I'm going to kind of theme my year around and, and trying to improve myself in some way. And usually it's a combination of personal and professional. And two years in a row, I picked, you know, one year was the word lead because I don't perceive myself as a leader. There are other people who are more charismatic and externally motivated and extroverted. And so I think, well, that's those are the kind of people who lead. I just kind of do my own thing. And if somebody's interested, then we'll, we'll do it together. You know, that's, that's an introverted way of leading, but I thought, okay, I have coaches I'm somewhat responsible for, and I want to improve their businesses and I want to improve their professional careers. I have clients. And so damn it, get out there and lead. You know, I, I needed to create some self-efficacy in myself in that category and then the next year, I chose the word inspire because it's not just leading technically, because that's my fallback. You know, I can I can educate and and I like that kind of thing, but to truly be motivational and super positive, uh, it, it it made a lot of changes in my behavior toward clients, and and I'm telling you, it works. 
Uh, it's not glib to you know tell your clients that they're awesome and doing a great job, um, but we all know that that hearing what we do well works more to change our behavior than telling people what they do badly. And so whenever a client is struggling or slipping or, you know, just, just not achieving what they want, there's always a lesson to be learned there. But I have found, because it's, it's certainly true in me and research bears us out, not just with our clients, um, you know, you just, you, you get more momentum, more, more motivation, almost imbued into somebody else by coming alongside them and being positive. So I, I, I think you're exactly right, Matt. And I'm one who can tell you if it's not natural to you, like it's not to me, uh, it can be learned and, and it still matters. I think it, it matters, you know, even more so. Do you, uh, do you, Matt, with, with clients, I, I'm not sure if you do mostly online or if you have some local clients, do you get a chance to interact with them in person or through video chats and so forth? Yeah, so mostly it mostly is online and um, video chats, uh, uh, but most most generally it's just it, it's through email and that kind of thing. But I do like to to you know every end of the week, uh, when we do a touch base, um, do that via video if we can. Sometimes it's a phone call, um, just depending on what the needs you know the client are. But but I, I definitely agree. I try to. Um, I mean, we're all human. We all we all we're not going to have perfect days and that kind of thing. But try to get the clients to focus on, you know, what are the things they, they do, right. And to me, they, they, they get those wins and they continue to focus on that instead of, you know, focusing on that one, you know, maybe one negative thing that, that didn't go well, you know, that week. I, I agree. And I, and I know you were part of our nutrition coaching global mastermind this week with Dr. Gabrielle Fondero and Lauren Conlon and, and hearing Gabrielle talk about the different types of tools out there that, that allow us to not just as I said, glibly say, good job, you know, you're, you're amazing, but, but to, to, to help bring those traits out of people. Like, I think that's, that's an important thing that I think we can all do any conversation like that. Motivational interviewing always comes up. And as I discussed in one of my coaches clinic posts in the last couple of weeks, that it's just good for communication with everybody always to be thinking about the content that we're saying, the words we say, but then the process, you know, how we're saying it and how it's being perceived. And that's, that's part of all of that communication. And, you know, for clients who are watching this and, you know, you might have coaches, you might have coaches within our company, um, you know, look for that. I, I don't want to say, you know, quote, demand it. Like, you don't, you can't tell somebody uh, like treat me well, um, I had a therapist one time make this conversation or, or uh, just discuss on this conversation about uh, a couples therapy type environment where you can't tell one side of that couple, hey, you need to love him or her better. Like, you know, it's, it's like saying here, here's here is money. Go buy me flowers. So I know you love me. You know, you you it has to be done reciprocally, reciprocally. And it has to be done in in a in a healthy relationship. And so, I think I have seen clients myself bring this out of coaches, where they are the ones who are almost the more emotionally mature of the two, and they start asking questions of the coach, like, "Hey, coach, what would you like to see me do better? Hey, coach, 
Um, how is my communication with you? Hey, coach, am I giving you all the data that you need? You know, hey, coach, how can I be a better client? And I know that sounds a little strange that clients shouldn't be responsible for that. But a very, very smart, mature client will understand what you just said, Matt, that we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And you could even bring out the best coaching out of a coach by being that socially and emotionally responsive and proactive. So uh, how about you, Becky? Any any thoughts over there in Ohio? I, I, I know you said something to me this week that um, inspired me, in which I love to inspire people. Um, you said, let's show them how, how to do it. And yeah. that's, that was a good, good thing for me. So it's like, yes, I know. Awesome, Becky. I appreciate that. And you, you bring up a really great point. Um, that word, you, you, you said we all like to inspire. Yeah. Every single college application, every, you know, every time you're interviewed for, let's say, an academic program and they say, why you? Why do you want to do this? Almost everybody says, because I want to inspire people. And that is such a true social trait in almost all of us that, you know, like we, we love to, to love and to be loved. We love to see and be seen. We like that reciprocation. Um, I, I think it matters how we do that. And so like Matt was just discussing, you know, having, having those ways in place where it's, it's truly impactful. And, and when I say, for example, Becky, that you inspire me, I mean, you do. I mean, look at all the things that you have done in transforming yourself and your pursuits of better health and strength. And so uh, I, I just think even sometimes by example, that's almost the best way to lead. Right. So, all right, guys. Well, I, I knew this was going to be a little bit of a short study. There was not a lot of complication to it. Uh, but if we if we slide back up here just for one last little look at these results, the, the thing to take away is that going into any pursuit with high pre-existing self-efficacy is always going to mean you're going to achieve more, going all the way back to Carol Dweck's work. And that means we can all start now in a general sense. I'm going to be a person who believes I can do it. It's just going to take me the time and the effort, but... Other people have done it. Other people are doing it. Damn it. So can I. Like that is a general trait we all have to have. And, and I think we, we should work on. We can inspire each other for that. But then the second part of this study was even for those who didn't have it, specifically toward one thing, and this being weight loss, but I think we could obviously transpose that to other categories in life. It, it you can literally help somebody achieve more than they would otherwise if you just do that for them, if you inspire them. And so I think that's a great sense for all of us, um, you know, to, to be those those people. And one more little uh, shout out here before I let you guys go. It's just if you have not looked up, as I mentioned, uh, Dr. Carol Dweck on this, even just look up her name and mindset to look for these kinds of graphs and charts and maybe quotes from her book, because those alone are worth it. The, the one down in this right corner is right out of her book. 
And, and it kind of shows the thought process that leads from that personality trait of higher, low self-efficacy, fixed or growth mindset, and then what the eventual outcomes are. And I think looking at a chart like that, you can, you know, and, and you can see it in the bigger center chart here, those are telltale signs of if we do have higher, low self-efficacy. Uh, over here on the fixed side, if I feel threatened by other people's success, if it makes me angry or I'm jealous, um, or I ignore useful feedback, I take that as a threat. You know, somebody's just picking on me and I have a defensive posture. If I see my effort as, you know, it probably doesn't matter anyway. If I'm somebody who gives up easily, I, I avoid challenges. That's those are all the telltale signs that man, you you may need to look into something like this and, and a resource like this may help. Because our goal is to be, of course, the opposite is to understand that everybody can succeed and that doesn't threaten us. Matter of fact, a, a rising tide lifts all ships. Uh, I look at criticism as, you know, hey, this is going to help me in some way. The toughest criticism I ever get, and I'm a little bit defensive by nature. I initially, you know, so somebody says something that is is critical. I may feel that as a gut punch, but I have learned to very, very quickly say, okay, how can I learn from this? What 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 can I do better? Because if somebody perceived this, then something in it has to be true. I can't completely abscond myself from responsibility. If somebody had this reaction or perception, then th there was something on my side that caused it, and, and I can learn from that. And then, of course, I look at my effort and my work as a way to improve and get better. So all the things opposite of, of that fixed mindset. But one thing I have to tell you guys, and I will post this everywhere I can so you know, I will be gone for the next two weeks. I have a, an extended course I'm going to. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and record something as part of our normal, you know, support chats for clients and so forth. So I'll I'll keep you guys posted. And of course, I'll be connected still through our app and normal client communication. Um, but but the the live chat Monday for active clients and the Friday research review. We will not have those for two weeks. But again, I'll, I'll let you guys all know on a personal note, to just uh, start to make sure I get these reminders out. You guys have a great rest of your weekend, Matt and Becky. And you guys who watch this on the playback, if you have any questions, just let me know. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks.